Society 13 Podcast Network. Redefining podcasts. Do you like to listen? Lights out. Everybody. supernatural and the supernormal, dramatizing the fantasies and the mysteries of the unknown. We tell you this frankly, so if you wish to avoid the excitement and tension of these imaginative plays, we urge you calmly but sincerely to turn off your radio now. Welcome. We have been expecting you. (laughs) Happy Halloween, you spooktacular people. It's our favorite day of the year, Denise. Yes, it is. Oh, boy. I hope you guys really enjoy this episode. This is our Halloween special 2017. This is the fourth Halloween special we've done. Four? Wow. I thought it was three. That's cool. No, because our first one would have been in October of 2014 when we first started. Well, that's right. We would have been 30 days old. Exactly. So we love doing these. Not only in the past have we shared a little bit about the history of Halloween, but we've also shared listener stories. And that's what we're doing for this episode because the real experiences you guys have had are scarier than any fiction out there. And some of your stories are scarier than anything we've ever shared on the show. Yeah, and so also, kind of fun for us, we started a new tradition in our own home this year. We're doing Halloween stockings, so we get to open our stockings today. That should be a lot of fun, and everybody in the Spooktacular crew that was taking part in the virtual trick-or-treating, secret victim gift exchange, whatever you guys are calling that, I think all of you should have your gifts by this time. And from what I saw in the Spooktacular crew, you've gotten some spooktacular things. Yes, they have, and yes, I did. On this episode, we have a whole lot of stories that you guys have shared with us. We also have three of our listeners who are going to share their experiences themselves. We're going to be joined by Stephen, Colin, and Emily. Before we get into that, we thought we'd start things off with a little bit of EVP action. Do tell, Diane. Our admin in the Spooktacular crew, Heather, came out to visit us down here in Florida, and we thought we'd take her around and show her some of the sites. And of course, one of the places that we had to take her to was St. Augustine, Florida, because it's one of our favorite cities. We decided to do the ghost train at Ripley's Auditorium, and part of that ghost tour, you get to go inside Ripley's Auditorium and tour the inside and hear a scary story that's linked to that and some of the hauntings that are going on there. And I don't think we've ever been inside there on one of their ghost tours without having something kind of weird happen. Yes. And just on a side note, we also had our listener, Julie Brammer, join us on this particular excursion. One of the things they do is they hand out these little grid pins so that you can put a grid up somewhere or an EMF detector, K2. Some of you might be familiar with that. So we had a couple of K2s in our group and a couple of the grid pins. So we went into the theater, and the theater is where we've usually had a lot of activity. We've had one of the people who's sharing their story with us put a flashlight over there and then ask the ghost to turn it on, and we've watched that happen and turn off. Well, on this particular evening, 
my K2 didn't do anything, but Julie's K2 was going nuts. It looked like a light show. It really did. And it, it kept speeding up. The closer we got to whatever was setting it off, it would go faster. And then when she would kind of pull away from it, it would slow down just a little bit, but it kept going off. Mine's not going off at all. So we're putting it all around the wall, trying to figure out, is there something electrical behind this? And it's pretty easy to just say, there must be something electrical going on here. There's probably not a ghost here, but Denise and I had in the back of our minds, this is where that tour guide had set her flashlight down one of the times that we were here where it turned itself on. So we had that going on. Well, at the same time, Heather's taken a bunch of pictures on her phone to see if we could catch anything. And I've never seen anybody catch so many weird pictures in one place in my life. You might be lucky to catch an orb or something. And of course, we look at most of those and say, eh, probably a bug or some dust. Heather wasn't catching orbs. She was catching these weird streaks of light. And we shared a bunch of these in the Spooktacular crew. We put them up on our Instagram. And people commented, well, maybe she had a smudge on her lens or something like that. The only problem is some of the streaks were on one side, some were on the other, some were in the middle, and these were all different rooms. And she was taking multiple pictures, and they weren't in all of the pictures. So here we have Julie's EMF or K2 is going crazy. Heather's getting these weird streaky pictures, taking photos of the exact area where we're getting this K2 activity going on. So I tell the girls, well, you know, we could explain that the streaking could be something, some kind of weird anomaly. The K2, maybe it's something electrical going off. But I said, if we get the trifecta, then we really have to think that something's going on here. I was recording on my little Zoom and well, I think we might have caught something during the same time. Now, as you guys know, these usually don't work as well on the podcast because it's just hard to hear the audio transferring through. Generally, you're going to have to have your earbuds on and crank things up a little bit. This is going to be even harder because you're going to hear Julie's K2 going off. So there's a lot of beeping. There's people talking. So you're going to have to listen behind all of that. And before you say, well, maybe it was somebody who was talking that you picked up, there's definitely something in the background and it keeps saying the same word over and over again. And it doesn't say it exactly like how we normally talk. It's kind of stretching it out a little bit, taking a long time to say this one word. And it had a lot of meaning to the story that is particular to Ripley's auditorium. What I'm going to do is play for you twice the original audio. I haven't amped it up, so parts of it are very low. So you're going to have to turn up your sound a little bit and see if you can hear what's going on. So here's the first time. Is there anybody here? Here's the second time. Is there anybody here? Betty. Good. They're all going crazy. Three of them. Three of them. Beautiful. 
there's something electrical behind there. But you know what? Mine's not gone. Unless mine's broken. Because mine's not going at all. Yeah, yours might be broken. Now I'm going to tell you what I'm wanting you to listen for. One of the women that was killed here in Ripley's Auditorium and that they think is haunting this location is named Ruth. And when I was listening back to the audio, I'm like, I'm hearing something that sounds like it's saying Ruth, Ruth. And then there's another time where she's like, Ruth, Ruth, Ruth. And she says it multiple times. So it's like as if she's standing right next to us saying, can't you hear me? I'm telling you my name. I played it for Denise. And I could actually hear it. Usually she plays things for me and I listen and I listen and I'm like, eh, I don't know. But I heard this one right away. So then Heather was sitting on the couch and I said, well, why don't you listen to it and see if you hear something? And Heather said she heard it too. So we're going to play it for you again. I'm just going to play it in the original and see if you hear underneath the beeping and the people talking a female voice saying Ruth multiple times. Is there anybody here? But you know what? Mine's not gone. Unless mine's broken, because mine's not going at all. Yeah, yours might be broken. Now I'm going to play it for you again, and I'm going to increase the sound where I think I'm hearing this whatever saying Ruth over and over again, so that you might be able to hear it a little bit better. Is there anybody here? Can you tell us your name? Betty. Good. They're all going crazy. So what do you guys think? Did you hear something there? It's the first time we've ever been on, I wouldn't say an investigation, but we were investigating the inside of this building and that we had three things happen at the same time that we thought some kind of haunting experience was going on. So I don't know. I think it was pretty amazing. Definitely at least worth considering for sure. All right. Now we're going to play for you one of our listeners named Colin sharing some experiences that he had when he was younger. Apparently his home was haunted. What inspired Colin to tell us his story is, Denise, do you remember that one episode where we were talking about how you never see a naked ghost or you never hear about a naked ghost? I do remember that episode. I I think what had happened is we were having a little one-on-one video chat with our listener, Johnny, and that's how we got into talking about it. So we shared on the show that we'd been talking about this. Because we had shared that, Colin contacted us. He emailed us and said, I have a naked ghost story for you. The story that he's going to tell, oh oh my gosh. So we're going to go ahead and play it for you right now. I was five years old when my family moved into a simple ivy-covered house outside of Little Rock, Arkansas. 
The house was built in the 60s and had nothing about it that would get it cast as a haunted house and even the lamest of ghost stories. But the land around the house has a long history due to the road being one of the oldest routes through the state. I suspected it's the history of the land that gave me my story. I can clearly recall the sunny morning in the room I shared with my brother. As I was blinking my eyes awake, I looked across the room to the bright window. That's when I saw a woman sitting cross-legged on the edge of my brother's bed. At first it seemed awkward that she was facing the wall, and then it registered that her body was like still smoke in the sunlight. She was completely nude, and she was headless. Of course, I pulled the covers over my head to hide from the sight, and after a few minutes of trying to keep my frantic breath quiet, I looked again to find her gone. My mother said she almost fainted when she heard me telling my brother I'd just seen a headless woman sitting on his bed. Not just because this is a scary thing to hear a child say, but because just the week before my father had seen the headless woman, this time clothed, glide out of their bathroom to lean over my mother, then stand up and vanish. This started a conversation about ghosts and hauntings in my family, where I found out about my grandmother seeing spirits as a young girl and a family friends having interactions with ghosts. And it started a lifelong interest in the supernatural for me. I began to read everything I could about ghosts and haunted places, but reading really doesn't touch the reality of seeing. Like the Saturday morning, I woke up early and took my pillow and blanket into the den to watch cartoons before anyone else got up. I had only one foot on the carpet of our TV room when I was shocked still by the sight of the woman, again sitting cross-legged, again nude and headless, in the middle of the room. I was instantly through the door with the lights on, my blood pounding in my ears, and the hopes that she would not come through the door after me. After a while, when I could, I looked into the room to find it empty and the sun coming up. That was the last time I saw the apparition, but the, not the last of our interactions. And I can't recall the number of times as I entered and went through my teens that a light would flicker back on after I had turned it off, or the TV would come back on as I was leaving the room. I never felt any malice from her, and it was a pretty gentle haunting. My father recently recalled seeing a hanging plant bouncing by itself in an empty room. Spooky, but not scary. At least not until the night of my 15th birthday. I had three friends stay over to celebrate. We had set up the tent in the backyard so that we could stay up and be loud without disturbing my family, but there was a pressure in the air that night and a low fog coming up from the creeks nearby. And though they weren't a fixture of my stretch of the highway, we could hear a herd of cattle lowing through the quiet country night. This atmosphere outside stirred my friends up a little, and so we decided to go into the den to watch TV until we fell asleep. But that never happened. Dean, Pat, Bobby, and I were sitting in a close circle, talking out our teen ideas with the TV murmuring behind me when I saw Dean and Bobby jump in unison. Dean hoarsely whispered, Dude, you hear that? And Bobby replied, Shut up! Just shut the F up! You didn't hear nothing! Pat and I started excitedly asking what they had heard because we had heard nothing at all. And they said that they had heard a girl say my name. Of course, sounding like the little girl from Poltergeist. We thought it might be my sister, so I went to check, but she was fast asleep. And so we sat and talked about anything else we could think of to distract us from the scare and ease the tension. But then somewhere in our ramblings, one or two of them, I can't remember, heard a crying that turned to laughter. And that's when I became frightened. Lights turning on and seeing quiet figures in the middle of the room, even headless ones, was one thing. 
but crying and laughing in the middle of the night was quite another. We didn't know what to do but to stay put and talk a lot. Eventually, Pat and I had to use the bathroom, of course. And so it being my house, my ghost, I had to go first to make sure the coast was clear, even though I wasn't feeling all that brave. After making it to the bathroom without incident, I headed back to the den. I saw Pat waiting in the dining room, and as soon as I saw him, I saw him jump like a rabbit up and sideways to the door into the den. When I got in there, he was telling my friends about how he had heard a gasp, looked over, and saw in the coat rack mirror a person in a Civil War uniform standing next to him who was headless. None of us slept or moved that night until we got up to call a friend's father to come get him at five in the morning, and I don't recall any of them staying over after that. And the rest of my teen years passed as I've told with flickering lights and TVs coming back on and me wondering why she called my name, but I didn't hear her. Denise, was that not the creepiest thing you've heard? Uh, yes, very, very creepy. We have not only a naked female ghost, but she doesn't have a head. He sees that twice in his lifetime, and then he's, his dad has seen it. And then, you know, I'm not doing any sleepovers at Colin's house as a kid, for sure. You want to go to the bathroom, and then you look over and you see a headless Civil War soldier standing there? That's enough for me. I'm out of here. Exactly. So it wasn't you, Colin, if nobody wanted to come to your house. It was just all your extra visitors. And we got this story from Martha in Arizona. I had been living with my mom at my Nana and Tata's house for two years at the time this first experience happened. I was standing close to an open curtained window in my grandfather's room with my mom who was using the natural light to do a decent job of brushing and styling my hair for a school day in my kindergarten year. That puts me at about five years old. This was probably a very routine morning. That is until I saw a face in the window. This was not an ordinary face. It was a face that I could only equate to that of a witch's face. She had greenish-gray skin, long scraggly hair, and freaky eyes that seemed to glow and twirl in the oddest manner, like right out of a movie. I don't know if at first I screamed and then was quietly transfixed, or the opposite. But when I wouldn't respond to my mom's questioning and just kept pointing at the window, she ran outside to investigate and saw nothing out of the ordinary. As she was outside looking into what could be causing me so much anxiety, this witch lady was hovering back and forward to the window, knowing fully well she was scaring the daylights out of me. When she hovered further away from the window, she would immediately be digging a hole in the ground and pointing at it, and just giving me the most grimacing smile you can imagine. Her eyes were mesmerizing, and as frightened as I was, I couldn't look away. I have no idea how long this encounter lasted, but she did eventually fade away, I'm assuming, and my mom came back to tell me she saw nobody outside at all. I have no idea now why didn't our family dog, who was out in our yard, not bark even once. I told mom I saw a witch and she was digging a hole and pointing and laughing at me. She said she saw no witch and no hole whatsoever. After that incident, I made sure not to have those curtains open all the way. This was the first of many spooky things I've experienced at my grandparents' house in Yuma, Arizona. I will try to type more of these memories out, since there were a few more in that general area and beyond. There is more where that came from. So this wasn't a ghost, it was a witch. Freaky. This is Trisha's experience. I've lived in a super haunted house. Super haunted. 
looks like a sweet dollhouse, right? And she sent a picture, and it does look like a quaint little house. It's very colorful with pink shutters. I had friends that wouldn't step foot in this house. Not at 8 a.m., not with a group of people, not ever. I lived in the back that was the original maid's quarters, and the kitchen was below, and this had been converted to an apartment. The property owners lived in the rest of the house. After about six months of amazing experiences, I finally asked the owners if they'd ever had anything odd happen. They looked at each other and back to me with nervous smiles and asked, what did you see? We shared stories that were spot on, the same experiences. The tall man dressed in black who normally kept to the front of the house but visited me the night I moved in. The little blonde girl in an apron who looked to be about 12 years old and looked so real, I called out a name believing my friend had dropped by only to find myself standing alone in the room. Then, all the lights turning on and off, mirrors fogging over, voices in the night, classical violin music, footsteps, items rearranging on dressers, on mantles, on tabletops, jewelry boxes opening with jewelry arranged in lines. In the scope of things, these circumstances were actually the small stuff. These were the tingling, exciting things that were not scary, but extraordinary. I started keeping a journal. The episodes were so frequent and astonishing. The energy in this house existed and didn't interact with me or my landlords. The house was bright and positive. In the early years, no one talked to me. No one tried to send me a message. The energy did their thing. We did ours. They moved our things around, but it wasn't in a nasty way. I lived there for three years. I was a tenant that wasn't spooked, so I lasted a long time. I lost my father when I was a child and always felt his presence as protection and a loving being. The ghosts in this house belonged to a family too, so I was not afraid of them, and maybe this house could get me closer to my dad, so I always embraced the happenings in the house. When I look back on it, we had boundaries, the living, the not living. I should have left things as they were, with boundaries. The house was built by a physician in the early 1900s in what was then Stowe, Ohio, now Cuyahoga Falls, Ohio. The basement was a cut sandstone foundation, but the interior walls of the basement were a smoother brick. We thought that perhaps the doctor used the basement for his work, but we have no evidence of this. The records of the house were lost in a flood. I tried to learn more on the house's history, but hit a dead end. And then, Denise, she starts to share what it was about the boundaries that she crossed. And what do you think happened? Well, I'm thinking that she tempted the spirits. In 2000, the millennium year on October, Friday 13th, it was a full moon. I invited 12 friends and hosted a party to talk to the dead, like they did in the Victorian parlors of long ago. I found a book at a Wicca bookstore, something I know nothing about, wrote a spell, and threw a party with a spooky Halloween theme. Harmless, right? Well, the party was a bust. My jokester friends couldn't resist silly comments through the whole thing. My spell and ritual was really creative, maybe too ritualistic. I was disrespectful. I know now I was not respectful to the ghosts, to the house, or to the energy. The weekend before Halloween, I awoke to a smell of what could only be described as roadkill. Have you ever smelled something so bad it woke you up? This was the beginning. The days of benevolent flipping lights and the fan popping on in the middle of the night was something to long for. I moved out about eight months later, not because of the ghosts. I had tipped the balance and the peacefulness was never the same. On a Monday morning after the seance, I woke up to my kitchen that looked as though someone had drawn pencil lines all over my cabinets, walls, appliances, counters, and ceiling overnight. My landlords had already left for work. I called a friend that lived a few blocks away to come and see this. She wouldn't come over. She was afraid. I tried to photograph it, but the light gray lines were too hard to capture. I had to go to work myself. The terrible smell still lingered in the house at this point. When I arrived home that night, I walked into a horror movie. My kitchen was covered with thousands and thousands of maggots. 
I ran over to my landlord's door in a panic, and their kitchen was also covered in maggots. They had called an exterminator. The exterminator guessed a family of squirrels or raccoons had died in the walls, and this was the reason for the maggots. This would be a very large family, as there were so many maggots. We would have noticed a very large family of critters in the walls. We didn't. But all seems well after the cleanup, though the terrible smell was still lingering. Tuesday, the next morning, the kitchens were again filled with maggots. Another call to the exterminator. We're clean people, and the kitchens are now bare of all food products. These are now two completely empty kitchens. Wednesday, the next morning, kitchens covered with maggots. Only this time, the exterminator cannot come back, as by law, they have dispensed the legal amount of pesticide in this time frame. The exterminator can't imagine what is in the walls unless it's an animal the size of a deer. We have to rip up the floors under the kitchen. There was a minor issue under the sink in my landlord's kitchen. The garbage disposal had leaked and was repaired. That was gross, I was told, but nothing to support thousands of maggots. Other than that, there was nothing under either kitchen floor or in the wall between the kitchens or in the fireplace on my side that was running the plumbing to my bathroom. We never found the family of dead critters. I knew I had to apologize to the spirits. I didn't raise the dead in my sense, but I did raise the smell of dead and maggots of the dead. I got it loud and clear. I didn't know how to apologize. I didn't know where to find how to make amends with angry ghosts. So alone, I quietly lit candles and sincerely apologized out loud and played soothing classical music every night for about a week. It seemed to work because the smell went away. The maggots went away and the pencil lines went away. Things seemed to go back to normal with fans turning on and dishes banging the normal stuff. On the last week of my stay in the house with boxes around just before I moved out was the only time I was truly scared, terrified. I opened my eyes in the middle of the night because I felt the covers being pulled off of me. I saw a man standing over me, and I launched out of bed with a speed and agility only fear could give me. I called my room the wind tunnel. I had three windows each with a box fan and a ceiling fan. I like air movement. If not for those fans, I'm certain the police would have been called. I screamed in terror, and the man held out his hands in front of him and said my name, Trisha, Trisha, twice in an effort to call me. So I knew this man, and he knew me. My fear turned to anger, for this wasn't a stranger in my room. The man dropped his arms, turned, and I watched him walk out of my room into the hallway, and I watched him walk down the steps in profile. It took me a few seconds to gather myself to follow him, angry that someone I knew would come into my room and wake me. If someone needs me, why not call? Who is this man? Not my brother. Is it an ex-boyfriend? What extreme circumstance would bring him here at this hour? This is not cool. I followed him to the hall and down the steps, fully expecting to see him in my living room. He's not there. I'm fully expecting to see someone's car in the driveway and learn who has done this. But when I open the back door, I'm standing alone on the patio, throat sore from screaming, no cars other than mine and the landlord's. No one. Who was just in my room calling my name? A tall man, arms outstretched with a voice who knows my name. A man that walks and talks was just in my room. A man that also pulls covers and directly communicates. This was way above and beyond any experience in the house. On a level floors above every other experience. I was not dreaming. I was screaming in terror. I was wide awake. Then I realized he knew me and I watched him walk away from me. He was a full person. I moved a few days after and think about that experience. Did I need to be awake for reasons I never solved? Did the ghost think she's moving and normally sleeps pretty heavy? Let me check out her PJs. What was that? I don't know. The house gave me loads of stories. Even though a few things were really bad, more things were really wonderful and amazing. I look back on it fondly. I try to find the good and bad experiences now. I took my kids to Cedar Point for the haunted houses this year, and I always go first in line. My 13-year-old son asked me why I was not scared of the haunted houses. My reply? 
I lived in a real haunted house for years. There's nothing in here that can scare me. I can imagine if you've seen a full-bodied apparition and it's pulling your covers and it knows your name, I don't think anything in a haunted house would scare you. No, and but even more heebie-jeebie, creepy are all the maggots. That was just yuck. That would be enough to put me over the top. I mean, real live maggots, I'm, yeah, so out of there. And the fact that it happened three days in a row, is, I, I've never, and plus, I'm not an expert on bugs. I am fascinated by people who study that kind of thing and can tell how long a body's been decaying based on the bugs that are with it and such. But it seems to me like maggots would actually, don't they usually stay like with the body or on the body? They're not usually crawling around away from it. Yeah, I, I'm not a maggot expert, but I no. don't think so. I don't know for sure, but that sounds a little weird to me. But a very, very good story in a lesson in don't ever, ever tempt the spirits. And we got this one from Kelly. When I was about 16, a friend of mine and I were really into playing with Ouija boards. I never really believed in them. They're made by Parker Brothers, for crying out loud. But when we did get it together, it worked. Worked so well, we didn't even have to touch the planchette. We held our hands above it, and it moved. Freaky, right? It gets weirder. Pretty soon we made contact with the spirit who claimed to be my dad's step-uncle. That didn't last, though. It was soon after that when the spirit dropped that pretense and focused on me intensely. It kept asking me to ask it to come out, which I knew not to do, although my friend was urging me to do so, saying, come on, it'll be fun. Oh, no. So I refused steadfastly. One night we were talking to the spirit. It kept asking over and over, and I kept saying no. Then I stood up to close the window, and when I sat back down, the planchette began whirling around the board. It went faster and faster until we moved our hands away. Then it spun around a few more times and flew off and hit the wall. When we put it back on the board and asked why the spirit had done that, it spelled out, don't ever leave me. And that is why I have never touched one since. Yikes, who was telling her don't ever leave me? Ay ay ay. And as you say, Denise, don't tempt the spirits, that's why. We got this from Emily. From 2006 to 2008, I participated in an AmeriCorps program here in the Midwest. I lived in a community with the other members of my program, and we worked in an area of underserved schools. The building we lived in was formerly a convent for an order of Catholic sisters. I bet it was an amazing place to live in the 60s with all of its wood paneling and green carpet. I liked it still, though, because it was the first time in my life I'd ever had a sink and shower to myself. Three things that I can't explain happened to me during the year that I lived there. First, one of my housemates and I needed to sneak out of the house on an errand. We waited until everyone else was gone to leave. The last minute I realized I needed something out of my bedroom. I don't know if it was my keys or wallet or what. Ran up the stairs and saw what I thought at the time was another of my housemates cross the hall from her bedroom into another room. I panicked because we were supposed to be undercover. I ran and got whatever I was supposed to get out of my room. And then as I turned around to come down the stairs, I happened to see out the window to our parking area. Only my car and the car of my housemate who I was going on the errand with were there. We were the only people in the house. The housemate who I thought I saw wasn't home. I was focused on my errand at the time, so I didn't think back to what happened until later. I knew I didn't see the telltale blonde hair of my housemate, and I didn't hear her steps. It was just a fleeting vision or sense of someone crossing the hall. Second, a friend from college came to visit me. We were cooking in the kitchen when suddenly I was whacked out of nowhere with a packet of taco seasoning. Is that what happens when you tempt the spirits? I guess so. They throw taco seasoning at you. <laughs> I know. I've been haunted by some taco seasoning. <laughs> oh, Diane. I whirled around and said to my friend, why did you throw that at me? She had absolutely no idea what I was talking about. 
She didn't throw anything at me. She did see the taco seasoning in the middle of the floor, though. It might be tempting to think that she was pulling one over on me, but A, I did not tell her about the first incident, and B, 10 years later, my friend still talks about how mad she was at me for making her sleep in a room by herself that night. Similar to the first incident, for some reason, I didn't think hard about what happened until later. Even looking back now, I think, how did I stay in that building? I asked my friend if she wanted to collaborate with me on telling you all of this, and she said, absolutely not. (laughs) What did she think if she talked about it, it would bring it back? Third, I woke up in the middle of the night, which at the time was odd for me. The good old days, right? No kidding. God, you hit middle age and middle of the night waking up, that just goes hand in hand. (laughs) I stumbled out of my room to head down to the bathroom. On the wall, I saw the distinctive blue and red lights of emergency vehicles. I wasn't 100% surprised by this. We weren't in the most amazing neighborhood. I assumed the lights were shining in and reflecting off the wall from the street. Unfortunately, when I did look out the window, the street was completely dead and quiet. When I looked again, I didn't see how lights would have been reflected off that part of the wall. So there's my story. As my husband and I would say, I'm not saying, I'm just saying. I can't explain it. One note, I grew up in Catholic schools and so have heard the worst there is to offer as far as horror stories about convents and the nuns and sisters who lived there. I have to say two things. I grew up going to Catholic schools and had nothing but positive, warm experiences being taught by Dominican sisters. I don't like to think it would be sad to hear speculation of bad energy in the house because of the secret evil nature or something of the women who live there. However, I do know that in our very recent history, women had much fewer options and much less control over how they could live their lives. And it's definitely possible that there may have been a nun or sister who lived in the house who came to her vocation unwillingly. Well, thank you for sharing that, Emily. And I don't know, the Ursuline nun place in New Orleans totally creeped me out. And I don't think the nuns had anything to do with that being creepy. So that doesn't necessarily mean anything. Yeah, so there was nothing creepy about the nuns. It was just the casket girls and the vampires that lived up in the attic. Now, if you are in a home that used to be a place where nuns used to live and you see rulers floating around, I'd run for your life because we know they like to use rulers. Yes, they do. And here's another story from Joe. About six or seven years ago, I took a second part-time job to help finance one of my hobbies, which is numismatics. And I hope I said that right. It can get fairly expensive if you're not careful and can mess up your household budget if you're just plain stupid. I justify the expense by calling it an investment strategy. Actually, my kids should make out pretty well when I'm gone. Anyway, the job was overnight clerk in a small market in the town where I live. Of course, this has the most murders on the job than any other occupation. Therefore, I was heavily armed. However, the town is very small with only two traffic lights and 1,200 year-round residents, so I wasn't too worried. I'd probably know anyone who tried to rob me. Back to spooks. One night, we were hit with a blizzard that we here in New England refer to as a nor'easter. The snow was falling at the rate of 2 to 3 inches per hour, with winds about 30 miles per hour, and gusts up to 55 miles per hour. That's a pretty good clip anywhere. I happened to be in the White Mountains of New Hampshire. So, on top of my regular duties of restocking the shelves, beer coolers, sweeping and mopping floors, I had to shovel and salt and sand the walkways every half hour or so. We always have people trickling in at all hours. I had not gotten to it for a while, so there were a few inches built up. As I was suiting up to go brave the elements, I looked toward the front of the store that had floor-to-ceiling windows, and just rounding the edge of the building from the direction of the parking lot, I see an elderly man shuffling along, head bent low against the wind. He wasn't moving that fast, so I had time to get my boots and gaiters on before he could get to the door. 
I finished up and headed out to the register when I realized I hadn't heard the door buzzer sound. I looked out the window and there's nobody there. Checked the side window and no cars in the parking lot except my truck. I saw him walk a good 15 to 20 feet in front of the store heading for the door, so now I'm a little panicked thinking he took a spill and was hurt. I rushed out the front door and there's nobody anywhere to be seen. Even stranger, there were absolutely no footprints in the snow anywhere around the building. He had simply vanished. Now I quit drinking over 15 years ago and haven't smoked pot for 40, so you can rule that out. I marked the time and yes, it was 3.27 a.m. I told my boss that morning when he came in and he looked at me like I had three heads. Well, I guess that would be a full body apparition. He was not transparent nor translucent, but appeared as solid as could be. Needless to say, I was a tad shook up for the next few shifts. I was the only one there between 10 p.m. and 6 a.m. To this day, no one at the store believes me, but I know what I saw. Well, thank you. That was uh, pretty creepy, especially with the blizzard coming in, so it's harder to get away. Oh, I know. And there are so many horror movies that are set in that kind of a location. This is from Shannon, who also goes by Just Another Fangirl, and that's the name of her blog. She comes from the land down under. My view on the paranormal is that of an open-minded skeptic, but I've seen a few things that have certainly confused me. And don't we all feel that way? My earliest stories are tales told about my grandparents' house. It had been in the family since my grandfather was young and his parents owned it. The story of my great-grandfather sleeping off a cold on the veranda was told when I was younger. Apparently, he couldn't get a restful sleep because something kept tugging on his toes and waking him up. Years later, when I was 20, my grandparents went on an extended holiday. I moved into the house to look after it, I'd stayed for shorter periods before and my housemate always commented on how tired I looked when I came back because I often couldn't sleep well in the house. On this extended stay, I was sleeping in the master bedroom. A set of French doors leads from the bedroom to the living area. These doors don't have a latch and one night a window opened in the end suite and another out in the kitchen created a draft. As it was a little windy, the doors were swaying open and closed for a while late that night. I was on edge as I often am when in the house on my own and awake while this was happening. Eventually the door swung all the way open to sit flush against the walls. I thought this would be the end of it as there shouldn't have been a way for the draft to catch them now. After staying open for a couple of minutes, the door suddenly and violently swung closed and stayed that way. As I mentioned, there was no latch on these doors and they don't close tight. Yet they also didn't move again that night, much like me. I don't blame her for not moving. I didn't say much of this incident to my family, but when my grandparents' next trip came up, I didn't want to watch the house, stating that I never feel like I'm alone there, to which my grandmother replied, that's because you're not. It's a blessed house. Blessed or not, I'm not fond of having invisible housemates. In one of your episodes, you talked about lights that follow drivers on a road, Bragg Road maybe? One night, my mother and I were driving home from the city, four hours inland, and it was around 9 p.m., so very pitch black. Being a weeknight, there was no other vehicles along this stretch of rural highway, but my mother and I both got a fright when a bright light appeared behind our car. It seemed to draw closer to our vehicle rapidly and nearly looked like the headlight of a motorcycle, but it was too high off the ground and the shape of a vehicle could not be made out as I turned in my seat to stare at it. I can't be sure, but I think it followed us for between 5 and 10 seconds before vanishing as soon as we hit the town limits for Wara. Although we tried to rationalize it at the time, we still had a half hour of night driving before we'd be home. The only way my mother and I could describe it now is as a possible min-min light. I've driven the stretch of highway at all hours while heading home for uni holidays, even purposely leaving early in the morning or late at night to try and cover that stretch in the dark, but I've never seen it again. My last experience is something close to my heart and comforting to look back on. I'm from a small country town where everyone knows each other. 
So when I got a job at the local cinema, I was already friends with my manager and the half dozen other staff that worked there. During my first year out of high school, my friend, the manager, left us unexpectedly. Perhaps a year or so later, I was working at the cinema with one other employee. There were no customers in yet, and I was stocking the candy bar. I distinctly remember my workmate leaving the candy bar and going to the office about 10 meters away. While facing the back of the candy bar with a wall in front of me, wide window and bench to my back and left, and the only entrance a latched screen door to my right, I heard the door open, close, and latch again before seeing a shape out of the corner of my right eye, then my left as my workmate walked behind me to the enclosed end of the space. I turned to my left to ask him a question, only to realize he wasn't there. Looking over to the office, I could see him in there, not having left. I stood with my back to the wall and waited for him to come. Between this and a staff photo we kept in the projection room moving, I'm sure our old friend comes by on occasion to check on us. As I reread this, I remember the only time I've ever had sleep paralysis. It only happened once in the middle of the day when I was homesick. I'd not long finished a home-sitting stint at my grandparents' house and was back in the place I rented with friends. The experience really shook me up, but thankfully has not happened again. I can't remember too much about it except that all-consuming need to call out to my housemate, who I could hear in the lounge room, yet I couldn't get a sound out. We've heard a lot of terrifying stories about sleep paralysis. Yeah, I'm hoping that I never get to experience that one firsthand. I'll just stick with leaving the stories. Thanks. And now we're going to let Stephen share his haunting experience with you guys. All right, Stephen. Well, we'd love to hear about this experience you had with shadow people. I'm a little scared to tell it because it is dark outside, but I'm going to go ahead and tell it. So I guess I was probably 17 years old and I was at a camp, a religious retreat, actually. And I was having a rough night, bad night. And I was walking back and forth on this path. It's a paved road where they would bring the horses in and out because there's a huge horse pasture right where I was. And so I'm walking up this road and down this road next to the horse pasture. And as I'm doing it, I'm just, I'm angry. I'm frustrated. I'd had a bad night with a friend, gotten into an argument. And I'm turning and facing away from the way I'd been coming from. And as I'm walking, I hear what sounds like a snap and then a whoosh right past my face. I felt like I felt something and I look and something shoots across the pasture, the horse pasture. And I thought, well, that's, that's weird. Because <laughs> my, my first thought is, what is that fast to just fly across a horse pasture like that? Cause it's, it's not a horse. It just felt like it was like just some sort of like almost like a big black sheet that just flew. So it, it felt like, what size did it feel like? Was it like the size of a bird, the size of a horse? I, I mean, I felt wind coming off it, but I saw it out of the corner of my eye in a field far away from me. So I don't know why I would feel wind coming off it because I was probably 10 feet from it. And it probably, I'm trying to think of a size, maybe a middle-sized dog, oh, wow. but flying through the air. Like a, just not, not huge, but not tiny either. It was just a shadow, just so probably about the size of, I don't know, a 45, 50 pound dog. And so I kind of turned and followed it. And as I did, there was this triangle or triangular set of trees there at the edge of the field. And I looked and there was a man and he was sitting on the ground with his knees up in front of him, kind of like you sit with your arms resting on your knees in front of you. If you're ever sitting with your back against a wall or something. Yeah. And he was sitting like that with his arms on his knees and it was just the outline of a man filled in all dark no features no anything no hair no anything. so it was rounded at the top but i could tell whatever it was was watching me Ooh. like I, I felt something 
in me. And I was like, okay, I'm upset. I'm whatever's going on. I'm probably hallucinating (laughs) in some weird way. This can't be real. So I, I moved around a lot trying to see if it was a trick of the light. And as I got closer, I was probably about 10 feet away at this point. And it, it, it hadn't changed. You know, a shadow, as I would approach, my view would change and it would look like something else. But it hadn't changed. It just looked like I was getting closer and closer and closer to a man sitting in front of a tree. And so the scariest part to me at that moment was I decided, well, I'll step to the side. I'll step over here. I'll step back over here and see if it's a trick of the light this way. And so I moved back and forth. And as I moved to the left, I watched as the head turned to the left. Oh, no. And as I moved to the right, I watched as the head turned back to the right. And I thought, oh, no, what is going on? And so I kind of closed my eyes and I kind of tried to shake it off and figure, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what this is, but I'm not going to run from it. I don't know in retrospect why I wouldn't have. But I was 17 years old. I felt invincible, I'm sure. I had this moment where I'm like, this can't be real, whatever. And when I popped open my eyes, where the man had been sitting, he was still there. But there was identical figures leaning against each of the other two trees. Oh, and wow. so now there's three of them staring at me. And I'm moving left and right. And I'm watching left, right, left, right. And at this point, I'm starting to panic. <laughs> Because I don't know what's going on. And, you know, I was raised religious. And so this is the moment when I start praying. Because I don't know if this is something spiritual. I don't know if this is something demonic. I don't know what I'm looking at. But I know I'm looking at something. And I know that something's looking at me. I finally reached a point where I spoke. And finding my voice was really hard to do. But I spoke and I borderline yelled what do you want? And there was nothing. And I started just yelling at this, whatever was sitting in front of me. And I got to the question of why me? I don't know why that was my question. My question was why me? And I saw ever so slightly a movement. I saw the shoulders kind of perk up. At this point, I turned my back and I started praying hard. (laughs) I don't blame you. And growing up in the background I grew up in, I was raised that prayer has power and that sort of thing. And so I started whipping out everything I had heard from any tradition I had heard at that point. I was just trying to get rid of it. And when I turned back, there was like a, for the first time in this whole experience, I felt the air around me. It felt like everything was standing still when this was happening. And I felt like a breeze and I opened my eyes and they were gone. They were just gone. And I ran back into the house that was right next to the pasture. And I told my friend what had happened you know, I, I'm not sure if they believed me or not, <laughs> but I mean, I, I may not blame them if they didn't. I wouldn't blame people who say that it's not real, but I know what I saw. And that night when I went to sleep, I was laying in bed and I felt this pressure on my chest. And it almost felt at one point like someone was leaning on my throat. And I, again, started praying like crazy and it passed. And that may have been a panic attack or anxiety or something from what I just saw, but It was just a weird, unexplainable night, and I have no way of explaining any of it. Yeah, I have no idea, because what's strange about it is it was like they were were following the movement of your eyes or your head. So it was almost like a projection of you kind of mirrored. But then Mm -hmm. when you have three of them, 
I don't know what that's about. And the fact that they were making you feel almost oppressed. And to me, if prayer works to get rid of things like that, generally speaking, I think it's coming from a more negative place than a positive place. Right. Any any energy I felt that night was not good energy. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I believe in good and bad energies. I believe that there are good spirits and there are bad spirits and everything I felt was malevolent. Oh, that would have been terrifying. It was a... Uh, it was. <laughs> Did you ever see anything like that again? No, I never have. It's been about 10 years, and I've, I've never seen anything like that ever again. And do you know anything about the history of that area that you were in? Had, had there been people who died there or anything? I'm not sure. I've, I've never looked into it. I've, you know, and me being history nerd, you think I would have, mm-hmm. but I just kind of... I kind of stuck it behind me and I haven't really talked about it much in 10 years because it scared me so bad that I was worried that even bringing it up would like you were calling them as, back. Right. Would be, as Denise would say, tempting the spirits. So, <laughs> well, like you said, we believe in the power of prayer, too. And people are always like, what do you do if you see, you know, something that you feel like is evil? And they're talking about sage and salt. And my go to has always been pray. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like you can't go wrong with that. Yeah, I, I, I did what I could. It was a. Uh, it was something. Well, thank you for sharing that. Now everybody's going to have chills and be looking over their shoulders and uh, <laughs> scared. And I, that's what we want to do. So thank you for helping us to scare people. Oh, sure. You know. Well, thank you so much for sharing with us, Stephen. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Absolutely. And you have a happy Halloween. You too. And this one is from Karistan. Greetings. My name is Karistan, and I just listened to the Maltby Cemetery episode and immediately felt compelled to email you with a few of my experiences. I wasn't sure if you could include them on an upcoming Halloween episode, but either way, it's nice to share with someone who may enjoy them. During that episode, you tell about a couple who had an experience in the cemetery where they felt pushed down. I was in shock because I had something similar happen and never really heard of another story where that occurred. Basically, when I was about 15, I was with three friends at a local cemetery. This was a place I frequented since I was very young, even going to have picnics with a friend in an elementary school. Eerie, I know, but we loved it. Anyways, it was dark and we heard an odd squeaking noise and noticed a light ahead of us. We all started running back towards the entrance exit, but when I, along with one girl, got about 20 feet from it, we both collapsed. Then when the third friend cut up, she also collapsed. It was as if someone put their hands on our shoulders and pushed down. We all then had a strange feeling, almost as if tipsy. Something then breezed by, said hello, and we turned to watch them it, but it was gone. We then felt normal again and could get up. It was the weirdest experience. That would be weird because that's also three people who shared the exact same thing. Anytime you have those shared experiences, it's much harder to be skeptical. And then to continue... Also, as a child, I had seen a black fog come through my bedroom window. When I told my mother, she said it was a bad dream. Fast forward to when I was 13, I met a girl at school who became a good friend. On the first night she slept over at my house, she told me that she didn't like my window because she saw something dark in it. My mother and I were both floored. She was also one of the friends in the cemetery with me that night. And one more interesting thing is when I was about the same age, 13, I somehow managed to have a conversation with the spirit in my room by asking it to knock once for yes and twice for no. There was nobody else in the house at the time. I was convinced after that happened that there was something in my home. I've had a few other experiences, but those were definitely the ones that made me a true believer. Thank you for those stories. 
This is from Carrie. This happened when I worked at an after-school program in a school that I had gone to. It was in the process of being torn down to build a new middle school in its place. The gym was gone, and there was a big hole outside of the cafeteria, which is where I was sitting, doing checkout for the day, waiting for parents to come get their kids. I was also doing some college homework. There was no one around, and all of a sudden, I got the strong smell of Old Spice aftershave. My first thought was my dad, but he'd been gone for almost two years. The next thing was I thought I heard his voice say, get back to work. I was freaked. Thank goodness the walkies came on at that time. I still do not know what it was. I know my dad went there for stuff when I was a kid, but he never went there when he was a kid because he did not grow up in the same town. And that's the only time that I've had that happen with him. So I wonder if her dad was visiting her at work there. Hush, little baby, don't say a word. Mama's gonna buy you a mockingbird. And if that mockingbird won't sing, Mama's gonna buy you a diamond ring. And we got the next story from Rosie. Hi, ladies. I hope you are both well. First off, I would like to say thank you for a fantastic podcast. I love listening to you at work, and I possibly am the only member of the Spooktacular crew who has listened to you both while standing in a 6,000-year-old pit. I think she is the only one who can make that claim. That is amazing. That sounds a bit like a challenge to me. Okay, who else can top this? I understand you're looking for listeners' own stories for your Halloween special, so here are two of mine. My not-quite-ghost-in-a-shell suit. In somewhere historically as densely populated as the UK, you are always on top of something else. The shop I used to work in is no exception. I worked for a few years after graduation in a well-known clothing and homeware shop in a shopping center built in the 1980s. It was built on the location of several medieval streets in the center of the city I grew up in. All the staff knew it was haunted. Boxes in the toy department used to shoot off shelves. Doors would open and slam on their own. We would hear footsteps behind us. And on one memorable occasion, the closed shutters on the front of the shop rattled of their own accord. Activity used to be ramped up when new members of staff started, especially around Christmas time. Early one morning, it was just me and my manager in the shop. I was alone on the shop floor tidying up when a man in a brown errand jumper walked past me. Or should I say I saw his arm? I looked up, blinked, and he was gone. The shop was cold at the best of times because of the air conditioning. It was very cold then. From then on, I used to get glimpses of brown in the mirrors of the changing rooms. I always felt watched. Whatever it was, it didn't feel bad or evil, just a bit off. And if whatever I saw just wanted to be acknowledged rather than feared, I don't know what I saw, but I know I saw something. My second odd encounter was yesterday, while I was standing in a Roman ditch I am currently excavating. It was a very humid, still day, and I was standing facing the point where the ditch was about to dive down fairly deeply with a steep slope. I felt a sharp tug at the back of my shirt, at about a level with my shoulder blade, making me want to take a step back towards level ground. Make of that what you will. I can't quite explain what happened away. That would freak me out to get tugged by nothing. That's something. Anything touches me and I'm, I don't know what I'll do. (laughs) She'll get her depends. Something. This is from Darcy. My ghost story goes back a few years to when I was in middle school. I was living with my family in Franklin, Tennessee, about 20 minutes south of Nashville. I grew up a huge lover of Halloween, and I honestly don't know why. 
For as long as I can remember, I loved the holiday and spooky stuff. So when my friends who lived in the same neighborhood asked if I wanted to go check out a real haunted house, I was totally up for it. I don't know how they found it. Our neighborhood is surrounded by woods and it was far back in there. When I started going up there, it was around Halloween and we wanted to ghost hunt. Like I said, I was a huge lover of spooky things and I was set on seeing a ghost. To set the scene a little, the house is far back in the woods, very small and very decrepit. It's shaped in an L shape. When you walk in there, there was a little foyer and then a bedroom in front of it. To the left was another long room, I'm assuming was a sitting room. This created the long part of the L. To the right was a kitchen that lined up with the foyer and bedroom to create the short part of the L. There was a little attic above the bedroom. The house was falling apart, as in there were holes in the floor. The little roof over the front porch had caved in, and the entire right wall of the kitchen was gone, leaving a big open space to the outside. Even just looking at this house was creepy. The first time I went up there, the house already convinced me it was haunted. I went up with a couple friends, and I walked around the outside of the house inspecting the stuff on the ground. There were beer cans on the ground that were made out of steel, so I knew these had been there for a while. My friends told me to stop and listen. We were all silent for a little bit, and they asked what I heard. We had all heard the sound of someone running through the woods. This was probably the end of September, early October, so there were leaves on the ground. We could all clearly hear someone hustling through the woods, the leaves crunching under their step. My neighborhood had lots of wooded areas with trails growing through it, so it didn't really make sense that someone would be jogging that far back in the woods where there was no trail to follow. It was pretty creepy, but it certainly didn't stop us from coming back. We continued to go up pretty frequently. One of my friends had read that you could see ghosts through pictures, so we started bringing our cameras. We would take all these pictures and get tons of orbs in our photos, but it didn't really convince us of anything. The second creepy thing I had happen was in the bedroom of that house. I told you the house was shaped like an L with the bedroom connecting the long part of the L to the short part. This bedroom had a big window on its back wall and there was a tree right outside the window. This matters because essentially there was never any light coming through the window. Between it being the corner of the L and this tree in front of it, there was almost always shade. I was in the house taking pictures and I noticed weird stuff happening with the window. Even though the sun was blocked from the window and it was dark back there, in my pictures I had this extremely bright light coming from the window. It was pretty spooky, but it still didn't stop us from coming back to this haunted house. Some more time passed and we continued to get orbs and photos and hear running in the woods until one day when we finally saw something. We'd come up to the house and were taking pictures when one of my friends started screaming bloody murder and running. Generally speaking, instinct comes in at haunted houses. The minute we heard her scream, we booked it out of there. When we finally got to the road, we were asking her what happened. She showed us her camera. She'd been taking pictures in the foyer and there in one of her shots, floating in the doorway to the bedroom, was a little girl in a nightgown. She was sort of pink and transparent and definitely scary. That was the last time we went up there as a group. Over the years, I've gone back to the house and taken pictures. Not many times, but I've had a few friends rope me into it because they want to see something. I haven't seen the little girl ghost again, though. My parents still live in the same house, and this haunted house is only about a 10-minute walk away. I definitely get tempted around the Halloween season to go, but with better judgment, I keep away. Smart girl. I'm surprised the house is still there. I mean, I don't know how much time has passed, but I would think it had fallen down by now or they would have torn it down. Yeah, well, maybe it's far enough back that nobody really notices it, but I would have thought it would have caved in more for sure. And then we also heard from Tiffany. This was years ago. My sisters and I probably about 10 years old and younger, but it has always stuck with me. Dad had been on his way to work and it must have been around Halloween because they were hosting a psychic on this morning talk show. The psychic and radio host encouraged listeners to call in if they thought they had some sort of spooky happenings going on. So dad called mom and mom agreed to call in. 
Mom visited with the psychic and told her what was going on. We had been experiencing light bulbs burning out every three months or so. My dad's tools were going missing. and My sisters and I were actually seeing things. My older sister had an experience where she would be lying in bed and would feel someone sitting at the end, but when she looked up, no one was there. I do not know if this happened to her more than once, however. I also remember seeing someone standing in the hallway. It was always the outline of someone rather than a full person. My mom, who approached this pretty skeptically, shared all these stories and experiences with the psychic actually asking about light bulbs and missing objects. After mom finished sharing, the psychic began to tell her that we had a friendly ghost who was a female and also had a thing for carpenters, which explains my dad's tools going missing. Of course, mom was thinking, yeah, okay, how would she know this stuff? Because you're never really sure if someone is the real deal, right? But the psychic then began asking questions about our, the children's rooms. She asked if we were in or near the attic and whether we had wire shelving in our rooms. Mom said yes, we did have wire shelving in our closets and the entrance to the attic was right above the entrances to our rooms. The psychic shared that this was the reason that my sisters and I were seeing so many things. I think at this time we were also renovating the basement, but I do not remember if that came up in the conversation at all. But after this conversation, mom hung up that phone, called dad, and was like, yep, we definitely have a ghost. We moved out of that house in 2003, and in a funny turn of events, the next owner was a carpenter. Pretty sure that nothing followed us into Minnesota, but my family and I love telling the story every time we get together. I'm a member of the History Dweebs podcast group. One day when I was over there hanging out, there were a group of people who were talking about some supernatural experiences that they'd had, and I asked if I could share them for our Halloween episode, and they said, sure. So we're going to share some of these from the History Dweebs group. This is from Teresa. My granddaughter was three at the time this happened. She was close to my grandmother, her great-great-grandmother. My mom had just come home and told me that she had passed and she went back to go to bed. My daughter dropped my granddaughter off for me to watch. We sat down to eat breakfast and Summer said, Hey, where did the grandma go? I told her grandma went to bed. She then replied, No, not that grandma, the other grandma in the chair. She pointed to the chair where my grandmother always sat and read books to her. Then, quite a few years later, while we were at the cemetery, Summer and I were playing with the Ghost Hunter app on my phone. We got to my grandmother's grave. The app said, Summer. Oh, wow. So that's kind of cool. I like those ones where it's like a family member. The next story is from Michael. My first long-term relationship lived in a haunted house. It was maybe 15 years old at the time, so I didn't believe her at first. She told me that when her uncle first purchased the house, they got it for cheap because the last owner had hung himself from the loft overlooking the living room. They didn't have pets, and a lot of the time it was just me and her in the house, alone during the daytime. We would be getting frisky and crazy in her room, and I would hear footsteps running across the hallway outside her door. When we would cuddle up on the couch in the living room, we would hear footsteps in the room above. The night I stayed over, her uncle and aunt were in Vegas, was interesting. It was all normal with no sounds until 11 p.m. when her doorbell went off three times. No one outside. After we checked, I could hear footsteps on the stairs right in front of the door and movement in the loft above. I told her I wasn't going to sleep upstairs, so we just stayed down in the living room in front of the TV doing our natural thing. The rest of the night was nothing but footsteps and running sounds. Still a creepy house. Haven't been there in six or seven years. This is from Andrea. I was staying at my sister's house overnight, and I always felt creeped out, so I slept in her big bed because it's super comfy, and I'm a huge wuss. 
I woke up at 6 a.m. and had to go pee. I laid there for a good 10 minutes hoping it would go away, but it didn't, so I got up and looked down the hall into the living room and saw my brother-in-law sitting at the computer desk looking at the screen. I jumped and realized he was still at work at his third shift job. I was frozen in place and was waving my arm all around trying to find the light switch and finally hit it. No one was there. Freakiest thing ever. Not long after that, I found out the neighbor hung himself in the garage. Coincidence? Yikes. And next we hear from Tammy. Backstory, my mom's house is an old farmhouse, about 150 years old. There is a family of four buried in the front yard, and the woman who sold my parents the house, her husband had a heart attack and died in the kitchen. It was Christmas Eve. I was watching a Christmas show, and I watched a glowing white entity float from the kitchen, through the living room, and up the stairs. Always heard sounds and such through the years. My boys and I lived there for six months when they were three and five, and are all adults now. They refused to go to her house alone. They never said anything presented itself to them, but that it's creepy. After my twin brother passed away at 15, drunk driving accident, I have felt numerous things and have a sense of things. Seen a ghost or two I didn't recognize, sleep paralysis, and seem to be super sensitive to people's feelings as well as premonitions once in a while. Oh, and experience deja vu. Now Emily is going to share her story with us. So my parents back in 83 got married and within the first year of being married, they had helped a friend move into this house. So they had already been in it and were familiar with it quite a bit before they ever even bought it. In that process of helping their friend move in, my mom to this day will tell you as soon as she had stepped foot into the house, she knew she wanted to live here. There was something that just felt like home to her. So they had decided that, yeah, we want to own a house one day, but we're we're just starting out. We need to save quite a bit and maybe one Whenever we decide to start a family, we'll get a house. And that's what happened. They found out that they were going to be having my older brother, and they started looking for houses. It just so happened that the former owner, who was also a friend, was selling this house at that time. So it was kind of perfect timing for them. And they were already familiar with the house, as I said. So they knew that, yes, it's going to need some work. They got it at a really good price because of that work that needed to be done. I mean, this house is well over 100 years old. Some of it had never really been updated. There wasn't really any insulation in any of the walls. So it could be quite drafty. At one point in the history of this house, it was also a duplex. So the kitchen was kind of split in this weird way where there was a wall and there were two separate back doors, one for what would have been upstairs apartment and then one for what would have been the downstairs level. October 1st of 87, the house was officially theirs. So this year is actually a pretty important anniversary for our family because that is when they moved into this house. Fast forward a few months, my mom had my brother in January of 88. Up until that point, there really hadn't been any sort of paranormal activity as what you would typically think because my mom always knew, yes, there's something in this house. She could feel it. She knew, but nothing had ever really happened that you could see. It was more or less always just a few until my brother was maybe a few weeks, maybe a month old. Don't really know because she doesn't quite remember when it happened. But they were in what is now my bedroom because anybody who lives in a cold area knows that whenever it is really cold outside, what you don't want to do is go to bed at night with the heat turned up 
So you always turn it down and you just cover up with some blankets and that's just to keep your gas bill down. So that's what they did is they would turn the heat down and then they'd go into my room since it is the middle room and it has only one exterior wall. And at that time, one of the things, one of the many things that needed to be done to the house was pretty much none of the doors fit into the door frames. I'm guessing that whoever had put them in, they were just kind of a stock door and they made it work. So you really required some elbow grease to open and close the doors. So my mom was up wee hours of the morning nursing my brother. TV was on so she could see everything clearly. My dad was sleeping next to her and the door which had been completely shut to the point where you would need to twist the knob. The door just kind of opened and she watched it happen. It did, It's not like it slammed open. It just slowly opened and she said she got the feeling that she was kind of being checked on, making sure that hey, is everything okay in here? Now the important thing to note is that we've never really felt like we were in danger or that there was a problem in the house. It's always been quite comforting and that was kind of one of the first things to happen that was a signal that yes there is somebody here but they're not out to chase us away or anything like that that feeling of there's always somebody here has never gone away fast forward a little bit more and my mom sometimes would wake up in the middle of the night smelling smoke like not cigarette smoke but smoke fire smoke and as it would turn out in the duplex days of the house there had been a fire in the top in the second floor apartment and apparently somebody died we don't have a confirmation of that that's more or less just kind of like a rumor so to speak because we can't find any sort of newspaper or anything like that showing that it really happened but there's something that has happened in the past that makes us believe that somebody did die and that is whenever my brother was little he used to see a woman walking into our bathroom now his bedroom is at the end of the hall also at the end of the hall is the bathroom door so if whenever he would sleep at night with his door open he would see anybody whether it was us or said undocumented people he would see them walking in or out of the bathroom and he used to tell ask my mom who's that woman and my mom had no idea what to really tell him other than just I don't know one of the kind of I guess you could say crazier things to happen was this was before I was born and my parents decided to have a date night and the former owner who they were friends again so every so often they she would call and ask how my parents were doing how the house was treating them she happened to have a teenage son. My parents asked him to babysit because, you know, he's a teenager. He can handle it. He's responsible enough. He came over. He already knew the house, so it wasn't like it was that big of an issue. Adam was probably somewhere around three at the time. They were roughhousing, playing like boys do, probably wrestling of some sort. But whatever they were doing, Adam somehow got hurt. Not majorly. He didn't break an arm or anything like that, but it was enough to actually make him start crying. And while the babysitter was trying to check on him and say, you know, oh, are you okay? Are you okay? A mirror came off the wall and went right for the babysitter. It's not like it dropped right down. It went right for him. It didn't break or anything like that. We don't really know where it if it actually hit him or if it like landed on the couch or something all we know is that it didn't break and that the babysitter was not actually hurt the reason why we don't really know too many details on this is because the former owner she knew that stuff happened in this house but it was one of those things where she more or less would tiptoe around the subject because i don't know if she thought we would think she was crazy if she just point blank asked us stuff about this later that night my parents come home babysitter does not mention this at all probably because he thinks along the same lines of his mother and then the next day my brother was trying to explain to my mom what had happened because, you know, he was quite startled as a little kid. Because he was three, he couldn't properly communicate what exactly it was that had happened. Later in the day, my mom got a call from the former owner and after they exchanged pleasantries, she had said, is Adam okay today? And my mom was a little startled because it came out of nowhere to her. And she said, well, 
yeah, why? And the former owner kind of didn't want to come out and say it specifically. So she more or less just said, you know, well, they were playing. Something kind of happened. A mirror came off the wall at him. I just wanted to make sure that, you know, Adam was all right and all of that. So that's how we know what happened. Otherwise, we would have no idea because my brother was too little. If you ask him about it today, he has no recollection of it whatsoever. That particular babysitter chose to never babysit again. So... I don't know if something extra might have happened. It's quite possible. We don't particularly know, though, because she didn't want to tell us too, too much about it. And after my parents had lived here for quite some time, my mom noticed that things were happening. So she decided to ask the former owner about it because she would call every so often just to catch up and chit chat. My mom, too, was kind of dancing around the subject, kind of not wanting to to point blank ask her because she seemed to recognize that the former owner didn't want to particularly talk about it. And the only thing that she was ever able to get out of her relating to any sort of weird thing happening in the house was she once had her sister staying here. And unfortunately, her sister was in an abusive relationship. And the boyfriend knew that her dog would protect her if he went after her so he purposefully locked the dog in the basement now the basement door until about i'd say three four months ago has always been a problem in this house because it like most of the doors had not fit and that was the one door my dad just kind of put off trying to fix so you had to really yank and i wish i had known he was going to fix it because i would have gotten a recording of how difficult it was to open it because you would have to yank on it a solid five to seven times before it would come open because it was just stuck. So while the boyfriend was attacking the sister, somehow the door ended up not only unlocked, not only twisted, but also open and the dog was able to get out and help her. And that was all that we ever really heard about things that had happened in the house before we owned it. Along the lines of them being helpful, there was a time when this was after I was born and my mom, you know, before with only having one kid, it was easy because she would sleep whenever he slept, which is what everybody had told her to do. But whenever I was born, it was more difficult because she not only has a baby but she has a toddler so one night she just was not waking up as I was crying because she was exhausted and she does that thing where you sleep with one leg out from under the covers and she said she distinctly remembers something actually shaking her leg like physically moving her and then she jolted awake and she could hear me crying I think that just kind of adds into that idea that they're they're not out to hurt at all the house as I said has been a construction project for a very long time and the bulk of it was done before I was born in fact there are pictures of my brother whenever he was like two and a half to three banging on the walls while my dad was trying to do demo stuff so most of it was that they tore out all of the walls and redid them because there again there was no insulation and it was all just like the wood slats so they tore all that out and for the most part the stuff that they found in the walls was like corn husks and there were some old mouse nests so they didn't think much of that they figured oh corn husks this used to be a farmhouse they probably just kind of used that as some form of insulation so all of that ended up getting covered new drywall paint job everything looks great my dad redid some of the stuff in the dining room he did all of this then for a while most of the projects were more or less just kind of let's completely redo a room every two years let's say because my dad pretty much has always done all of it himself i think 
he's hired out really only a couple of times. Otherwise, him or his friends will do it. So the house has pretty much always been DIY'd by my dad. I think I was in middle school whenever this happened. I might have been late elementary school. My parents decided to get rid of that wall that separated the two back doors and then tear out that portion of the back of the house, put in French doors, and redo the hallway that led up to the second floor. It was, it was honestly, it was an undertaking that they had planned because my dad was also going to build a pantry into the wall we all knew like, okay, this is going to be pretty major and pretty lengthy. And that particular project really, it, it was marred with quite a few weird things that happened. The first one being demo day, which was always my brother's favorite to help out with. My dad and my brother tore out the walls and all of that. Plates coming down, just dust everywhere. It was it was gross. We found things in the walls. Some of them were really random. Some of them were like bottles and old cans and everything. There were old Valentine's reams of wallpaper that you, you know, you unroll it a few layers and it looks perfectly fine. Like, it's very likely that that was original to the house. Old cards. There was a book of some sort in there. And then the weird part came in when my parents found a shoe that belonged to my brother whenever he was little. In fact, I think it was one of his first pairs of shoes. And then they found one of his windbreakers. And I know that anybody's first explanation to that would be, oh, well, whenever he was a kid, he must have found a hole in the wall and like shoved it in because kids do weird things. That's not what happened though, because where it was found in that hallway, there is not possibly a hole that would have been there because he only would have been able to do it either where the floor meets the wall, but that was covered by a baseboard. And then the other part would have been, well, maybe he did it from the second floor and it just fell. That's not possible because that part of the house has literally nothing over top of it. It's just the roof and then nothing, obviously. So we have no idea how that happened. Not only that, but also these are things that we would have noticed. In particular, my mom would have noticed had gone missing because I point blank asked her, you know, did these things ever go missing whenever Adam was a kid? And she said, no, I packed him away into the box and either put him in the attic or put him in the basement. So I have no idea how this happened. We literally have no idea how that got there. And it kind of creeped us out, obviously. So that was during the demolition portion, which I think lasted at least two, maybe three days. And I mentioned that there was a lot of dust everywhere. Whenever we had woken up that morning, we knew that something weird had kind of happened, but we can't really explain it because in the dust on the, I believe it was on the floor, right in that hallway, a heart had been drawn, kind of like with your fingers, you know? It was just like drawing a heart in sand. And we couldn't figure out what in the world had happened. And we were just kind of like, where? Did you do that? No, I didn't do that. Did you do that? I didn't do that. Why would I do that? And then the morning progressed and police showed up next door. We had no idea what was going on. Our neighbor's kids were out and about on cell phones, kind of seemed panicked. And then the coroner showed up and we realized, okay, I think she's, I think she's passed away in some way. And we found out what had happened and it was not exactly natural causes. It was an accident caused by a little too much to drink. So what we don't know is did like she do that or did something in the house do that kind of as a signal like, hey, 
this this happened your neighbor is gone and that was kind of our first signal as we got up that morning that one was one of the things that really kind of startled us because you know we're staring at this heart kind of like okay who's playing the joke and then we realized oh okay that's something terrible has happened in more recent years it, pretty much all of it has been delegated to footsteps in the hall being sitting in the living room and hearing movement in the bedrooms in the computer room in particular which is right below my brother's bedroom it used to sound like somebody was getting in and out of bed and that was whenever my mom was home by herself because my brother and I were at school my dad was at work and she would think you know somebody was still upstairs nowadays it's more or less just walking Um, sometimes lights end up on whenever they shouldn't be one of the weirder things to ever happen was my brother's at that time she was an ex-girlfriend so his ex-girlfriend called the house and asked my mom you know hey this is going to sound weird, but did you try to call me the other day? And she had given her the date. And my mom said, well, no, I, I didn't. Why? And she explained that whenever she had gotten off work, she found a voicemail from our house phone. And it was just about three minutes of pure static. And we couldn't explain that. And then around that same time, we went through a phase of my mom would do a load of towels or like just cleaning rags or something. And pennies were appearing. And our laundry is in the basement. And she would walk by the basement door kind of from the computer room on her way to the kitchen and she'd hear like that scratching sound and she'd go down there stop the dryer check well there's pennies take them out restart give it about 10 minutes and then suddenly she heard it again no idea what's going on there as well as far as seeing things seeing things i think my brother's pretty much the only person to have ever seen anything head on otherwise it's pretty much always out of the corner of your eye there are certain areas of the house that you know that something is standing there or peeking around a corner so to speak i have this deep-seated childhood fear of my basement and i don't know why and it's not just the entire basement. It's a particular area of the basement. Our hot water heater, furnace, where the old chimney was, it's all grouped together. Also, where the sub pump is, that's all right there. And there's always been something terrifying about that portion of the basement to me. I've never liked that area of the basement, which in in more recent years has been fine because my dad actually closed it off because they wanted to make the basement more of like a uh, cool hangout area, but we can't have a finished basement because the ceilings are too low. In fact, if you look at the pictures I posted of the Firestone Farm in the Spooktacular Crew, the basement of the Firestone Farm is very similar to what ours would have looked like. The only difference really is that we have cement that has been poured at some point in the past and also all of the rooms don't exist anymore. So it's all just one solid open area. But my dad separated all of that. So you actually have to go through a door to get to what I would call the utility area. But at the back of it, there is about a two to three foot section of the wall that does not meet the actual stone foundation. So if like that door is blocked by something, you can just go to the other side and walk around it. And that also is where my mom's treadmill is. And her and I have both said, it feels like if you turn your head, you're going to see somebody looking around that corner of that wall. Another is the first floor bathroom, which is down a hallway. And down that hallway is also where the basement door and the closet is. You have to walk by that hallway in order to get from the living room to the kitchen and vice versa. And whenever I was a kid, I actually used to be really scared to go go down that hallway to go into the bathroom. Like I used to close my eyes and walk forward. And then once the light was on, I was fine. Plenty of times whenever I walk by it, there have been times where it seems like somebody's standing at the mirror right over the sink. Years and years ago, that 
bathroom was redone and weird things were happening during that process as well like tools kept going missing which they would reappear in other places we don't really know why um because it seems to us like whatever is in this house hates the process of construction but they like the results because nothing extra ever really happens after the process is done we don't really know what in the world that means honestly after all of the years that i've lived here i don't really I'm not bothered by a whole lot of any of this. I think it's probably because I was just raised with it. And honestly, nothing has ever felt nasty to me. So that's really how I view how I've grown up and how I've experienced all of this. One of the members of the Spooktacular crew is named Laura. And when she first came into the group, she wanted to know about everybody's first ghostly experiences. So a bunch of people piled in and told her about them. And we thought it'd be fun to share those with you guys for Halloween as well. So here are Laura's stories. She has two of them that convinced her there's something real about ghosts, and both of these are from when she was a young child. My best friend lived next door, and I would go over to her house to play frequently. Her family sometimes would go out of town, and when they did, the front curtains would be drawn. Anytime they were home, those curtains would be open. So one day, my brother and I went over to see if my friend was available, and the curtains were drawn. As we were about to leave, we saw movement behind the curtain. People were walking around in the house, and there was enough of a light behind them that we could see it. We figured they were playing a trick and walked up and rang the doorbell. The shadows on the curtain vanished. It was odd, but they were known for being jokers, so we knocked and rang again. We saw movement again and knew they were home, but they wouldn't answer the door. I got upset. They were teasing us. I went home and cried to my mom. However, my mom was aware that they had left town and sent my dad over to investigate. He didn't see anything. When the family got home, I heard my parents talking with them. There was a complete search around the house, looking to see if anyone had broken in and if anything had been taken. Nothing. No one had any explanation for what we had seen, but they believed us. The other one was more definitive. I did sleepovers at their house fairly frequently to get away from the noise of my own house. Having six siblings gets old after a while. I can imagine. That would be a lot of activity 24-7. We slept in the living room, that same living room I had seen the shadows in almost every time. Dozens of sleepovers, nothing happened except her older brother would loose the dog on us to slobber all over us in the morning. But one night we heard, independently, what we both thought was her brother sneaking up on us. Now I'd slept at this house, in this room, lots of times. I knew the sounds of the house, and this was not the house settling. It was a person walking very stealthily up to us in our sleeping bags on the floor. Both of us jumped out of our sleeping bags to surprise the intruder at almost the same moment, only to find no one there. We'd heard the same footsteps. We could even trace the route it had walked. And there was no way he could have gotten away. My friend even went down the hall to check on her brother and parents, all asleep. Even the dog was asleep. We both tried to sleep, and for the rest of the night, both of us heard footsteps walking around us. Distinct steps, quietly walking. I curled up in my sleeping bag and refused to look. She said she kept checking and never saw anyone. It was a relief when the dog bounded in on us in the morning to wake us up. There were many other incidents all involving that same family that I witnessed. Almost every one of them could have been faked, and the family was known for being pranksters, but I don't believe they faked the hauntings. We also heard from April. I didn't have a real incident before I started believing. I was just always terrified a ghost would take up residence in my houses growing up, to the point that I even refused to ride the haunted mansion unless I closed my eyes and plugged my ears until well into my 20s. I did have a strange occurrence when I was a teen. I had just gotten out of the shower and wrapped in a towel when I happened to look down at the gap under the door. 
I saw something that looked like those mirrors the dentists are sticking under and it kind of angled towards me and it slowly moved back out as I watched. This bathroom was on the second floor and when I opened the door, nobody was even upstairs. Freaked me out enough that for years afterwards, I always put a towel along the bottom of the door before I showered. I actually stopped for a bit about a year later and it happened again. I used the towel again until I moved out. I mentioned this incident to my mom about a year ago when we somehow got into the subject of ghosts and she said she sometimes heard bells jingling in that house, but as far as I know, those were the only strange happenings anyone experienced. This is Angie. For me as a child, I was pretty peculiar. I had an imaginary friend for sure, not sure it was real or not, but I always talked to it. I always had nightmares and they were pretty vivid. Recently, I've had a weird experience I have not told anyone about. My sister-in-law and family moved into their new home. A few months later, my husband and I went to babysit my nephew. We were sitting on the couch watching TV and I noticed what seemed to me like a fly, but it wasn't. It was just something that caught my eye and it noticed that I noticed it. It stopped and hovered and it felt like it looked straight at me and I was still looking at it trying for my eyes to focus on what it was and that fly flew straight at me. I ducked and turned to see what type of fly would do that and there wasn't anything there. My husband who was sitting next to me didn't notice what was going on. He seemed unfazed. Makes me wonder if it was all in my head. I don't know. Sounds kind of weird, Angie. And now from Ruth. Not a ghost story, but still paranormal. I was eight years old. It was Halloween and I was with my family at my aunt's house. I suddenly had an awful feeling that something was wrong with my pony who was pastured a mile or so down the road. I was frantic and just knew that she needed help. Of course, no one paid me much notice, and as it was getting late, I was forbidden to leave the house. My older cousin took pity on me, and she agreed to take me to the pasture. The pony was indeed in trouble. Someone had twisted baleen wire so tight around her throat that her breathing was labored. My cousin had a pocket knife, so we were able to free her. I've had several other incidences of my animals communicating with me. I consider it a great honor. Ooh, who was the jerk that got the bailing wire around its neck? I don't know, but thank goodness she had that premonition. I can't even imagine. No kidding. This is from May. I grew up in a house with a ghost. Our house was built on the site of a colonial home that had been struck by fire and burned down in the 1960s. The new house was built just a few hundred yards from the original house. At night, I would hear knocking on the wall leading to the crawl space. I would also hear footsteps on the stairway. We lived in a split-level house, and the downstairs steps were wood, but the stairs going to the upper level were carpeted. My grandparents told us the knocking and footsteps we heard was just the wood in the house settling. Being kids, we believed them and didn't think too much about it. Not too much later, Granddaddy had the lower-level stairs carpeted also, but it did not stop the knocking and footsteps. When I was an adult, my grandmother admitted to me that she and Granddaddy also heard the noise, but thought it was the girls going upstairs for water or something. Our lady became more active once we acknowledged her existence. She seemed to see her place as taking care of the family. After all, the kids were grown and gone. She would play tricks on my grandparents. Things would disappear, and after an intense search, they would find it in the exact place they had looked. If dinner was late being started, cabinet doors in the kitchen would slam, and you could hear pots and pans rattle. The first Thanksgiving after both of my grandparents died, I decided to spend extra time with my dad. My husband and daughter both had to work, so they went home. My father's practice was to eat out on Saturday evening. I was at home waiting for a call to tell me where to meet my dad for dinner. After 5 p.m., cabinet doors started slamming and pots and pans started rattling. I was the only person in the house. I walked to the top of the stairs where I could see into the kitchen and stated, It's Saturday. You know daddy goes out to dinner on Saturday, so I don't have to cook. 
The noise stopped, and my dad called a few minutes later. I told him what happened over dinner. We both had a laugh, and Daddy told me she was taking good care of him. I have tons of stories about my childhood home, but you get the idea of my young years. Also, my grandfather's business had a ghost. This ghost was a former employee. He loved working with my granddad and didn't care to leave, ever, but he kept us kids in check. If we misbehaved, my granddad always caught us. When I was an adult, he told me he would always hear Dummy, the ghost, walking up the stairs and doors closing when we misbehaved. Don't judge about the name. If my granddad were alive today, he would be 126. Dummy was an old black man who worked for my granddaddy. It seemed that no one else would hire him, so granddaddy hired him to keep the place clean. Granddaddy asked what his name was, and he said everyone called him Dummy. Granddaddy never knew his real name. Dummy was homeless, so Granddaddy let him sleep in the basement where he fixed a place for him to bathe and sleep and fed him. Dummy loved my Granddaddy, and my Granddaddy loved him, thus the intense loyalty. So it sounds like he was still keeping track of the place there. Yep, you don't want to misbehave if you have a ghost looking after you. And this one's from Jenalina. I've had many things happen to me, but the first one that caused me to become interested in the paranormal was when I was 10 years old and attending a cookout at my grandparents' house. I was riding my cousin's bike down the long driveway next to their house. The bike was too small for me, but that allowed me to get better leverage, so I was going pretty fast on the thing. Suddenly, the front tire became stuck on something, and I was flung over the handlebars. Only a few of my relatives were outside, and the rest, including my parents, were inside my grandparents' house. Only one of my cousins saw what happened. As I was flying over the handlebars, I managed to avoid hitting my head, though I did hurt my arm for using it to brace for impact. Unfortunately, I managed to hit my stomach on said handlebars. The blow winded me and I began to panic. I was trying to scream out for help, but could not get any air in my lungs to do so. Suddenly, a woman with fiery red hair appeared next to me. It was a summer day and I assumed she was a neighbor who had been outside and seen what happened. You can't scream because you need to build up more air in your lungs. Calm down, take deep breaths in and out, and then you can scream. I did as she said, trying to deepen each breath, and when I finally had a deeper breath of air, I let out a strange scream. By this time, the cousin who had seen what happened was inside trying to tell the adults. But when my mom heard my weird well, she was outside in a heartbeat. To make a long story short, she scooped me up and took me to the hospital, and I ended up staying there for a week. I never knew what was wrong with me, as my parents didn't want to scare me by telling me, but I knew it was bad from the looks on their faces. Turns out I split my liver in half when I slammed my stomach on those handlebars. Years later, when my mom finally told me the extent of my injury, internal bleeding, almost died, not just bruises, I said, it's a good thing that red-headed lady was there. What lady? I explained to her how I had saw a woman with vibrant red hair and how she told me how to calm my breathing. She was right next to me when you came outside and got me, I told her. Jenna, she said, seriousness on her face, there was no one there, and if there was, why wouldn't she try to get help? Since then, I also asked my cousin who saw what happened. He also saw no one. I do not know who this person was. I tell this story to people, and some say it was an angel, some say a ghost. Others say it was my brain creating a calming hallucination as a survival mechanism. All I know is that if she hadn't shown up, I would have been scared, and I probably would have passed out from hyperventilating. I don't think it was a hallucination. No, that is extremely scary story, but I'm glad that she was there to help you through it. These are several stories from Kayla. This isn't my personal experience, but was shared with me. When I was young, I think about five or six, my mom's co-worker's husband was struck by lightning and died. 
Within the next couple of days, my mom had an extremely vivid dream that Murray came over to our house to visit her and let her know that he's okay and please help comfort Nancy, his wife. She said the dream was so vivid that there were smells. She could feel the warmth of the sun and of Murray when he hugged her goodbye. This was the first time I'd ever been exposed to the idea that there was a way to communicate with people who have passed. I've heard that we are more susceptible when we're asleep. Story number two, my great-grandfather died when I was six or seven. My dad inherited his clock. He got it as a retirement gift. Whenever something new or exciting is happening in mine, my sister's, or my parents' life, the clock face opens. We've checked the clock and the wall, and both are level. The door won't stay closed unless you talk to Papa and tell him what's going on. He was always a very social person and loved his family, so I completely believe it's him still wanting to keep up with what's going on in our lives. Story number three. This is a personal experience that only I've had. The house my parents are in now we moved into when I was 12. For the first two months we were there, we were renting. The owner had already moved and didn't want the house vacant for two months. In the first month we were there, I distinctly remember hearing a lady speaking softly. I could never quite make out what she was saying, but I knew she was trying to talk to me. This went on for a couple of weeks, and it was every night. I mentioned it to my mom one morning, and it turns out that the previous owners were driving home from a party when she suddenly died. I believe it was her I could hear. Once the sale finalized, I never heard her again. Isn't that interesting? They got the house, and she didn't hear her anymore. Yeah, that's that's really weird. And this one is from Kathy. My grandma on my mom's side got me interested in ghosts, or as she called them, haints. When I was little, she would tell me that my grandpa was haunting her. And if grandma said it, you knew it was true, which made me order any and every paranormal book Scholastic had to offer. My first genuine ghost experience occurred after my cousin Frankie died in a one-car accident when I was 13. My family and I went to visit my uncle and aunt a month after he passed away. We'd been out fishing all day, so we were all really tired. That night, I found out I was sleeping in Frankie's room. At that point, it didn't matter. I was sleepy and sunburnt, so no arguments were heard from me. About two hours after we all went to our rooms, I started to hear footsteps and doors opening and closing. I don't think anything of it. All of the bedrooms were close to each other and the bathroom, so I figured it's just one of the family using the bathroom. But I realized that the footsteps and the door slams were becoming louder. The floors were terrazzo, so the footsteps were very audible and identifiable. I was hearing cowboy boots stomping down the hallway. I tried to reason the sound away, telling myself it was my cousin Tim, Frankie's brother. And just as I convinced myself my cousin was being a jerk, the next morning my uncle and aunt asked why we were up all night. We sick or something? My parents said it wasn't us. We thought it was you or Tim. They all said no, it wasn't us. That's the moment we all understood what we heard. The night my cousin died, he and my uncle had a huge fight and he stormed out of the house. My aunt and uncle moved from the house because those events never stopped. That phenomenon was witnessed by five people independently, which made me a believer. And I've had lots of experiences since. Thanks to Grandma for making me open to the supernatural. This is from Jay. There's always some paranormal stuff going on with my mother's family. Ironically, the Catholic side of the family. My dad's folks are spiritualists and don't have these many stories. (laughs) That's kind of funny. Like my uncle dreaming of my grandpa every night after he passed, telling him his headstone had his birth date wrong up until he went to check it out, and it really being wrong. To a gentleman showing up when my mom, who was a very young child, was very sick. He brought my grandmother the herbs to cure her illness, even though the regular doctor had already told her to prepare to lose her child, and then he vanished from the very small town where they lived. To me smelling a specific kind of flower when my aunt passed away in another state. 
I also heard a friend speak to me clearly the day she died when I had no idea she was even in the hospital. Basically, I just can't deny the supernatural in at least some of these instances. And our final story is one that we're going to share that was personally shared with us when we did a ghost tour in Tampa, Florida uh, last weekend. There was a young guy who was on the tour with his girlfriend and he had asked about our shirts because he saw that we were wearing our History Ghost Bump shirts. And so I explained to him that we had a Haunted History podcast and he was like, oh, I have a story for you. He said, have you ever heard of Ernestine and Hazel's in Memphis? And I said, oh, we sure have because we've done an episode on it. So he had this experience there. He was about 17 years old and he worked as a DJ and they were having this show at Ernestine and Hazel's. So he and a few friends had been DJing it and they'd had all this stuff set up and they were breaking it down and they'd gone upstairs and there's a bar that's upstairs, but it's not in use anymore. Well, they'd gone up to this bar and there was an older gentleman behind the bar and he said it was just like a typical bar scene. You see him kind of wiping down the top of the bar with a cloth and he's cleaning glasses. And so the boys all walked over to him and he said he started telling them all these stories. And since he knew that they were underage, he couldn't serve them. So he gave them ice water to drink. So they were sitting there drinking their ice water while he was telling them all of these fabulous stories. And Tyler said it was really interesting to listen to him. And then they said, you know, it's about time for us to go. We got to get out of here. So they said goodbye to the gentleman and they went downstairs and finished loading up the rest of their stuff. And then he went up and was talking to one of the other people who works at Ernestine and Hazel's and said, you know, that guy upstairs, the bartender, he's a really nice guy. He has the best stories. And whoever he was talking to kind of looked at him funny and said, what are you talking about? He said, the guy, the bartender who's upstairs. The guy he's talking to said, there's nobody upstairs and that bar hasn't been in use for a long time. And Tyler and his friends were like, no, we're serious. There was a guy up there. He gave us water to drink. So they run upstairs. There's nobody at the bar. There's no ice behind the bar. There's no glasses on the bar. There's no alcohol, nothing. It is completely empty and it clearly has not been used for a long time. And wasn't the water disconnected or something like that too or something? Yeah, I don't think there was any water running to the bar or anything. I'm looking at him going, this is one of the most incredible stories I've ever heard. But not only that, you guys all know I have this inquiring mind and this kind of stuff just, I don't know, it gets me very excited when I hear it because the thing that I closed in on was one piece of the story that he had told that really mystifies me. And it was that water. So I said, Tyler, did you drink the water that he served to you? And he said, yeah, we all drank the water. And that just blows my mind. I'm like, where did the water come from? It was something physical that he could actually drink and that he took into his body. That just, it blows my mind. It's one thing to see a translucent spirit. It's one thing to see a spirit that looks as real as a person, but to actually physically drink something. I know that's oh. crazy. Not crazy, but very like, whoa. Yeah, it was an amazing story. And then he shared it with the whole group at the end of the tour. And uh, so, Tyler, if you're listening to this, thank you so much for sharing that with us. And the Tampa ghost tour that we did was really amazing. We really enjoyed it. We're going to end this podcast with a song that is by one of our spectacular crew, Jamie Wolf. She shared this with me. It is very creepy. It's going to put you in a Halloween mood. And if you want to check out her stuff, we'll have a link in the show notes so that you can get a hold of that if you'd like to. We want to wish you all a very happy and safe Halloween. Hope you guys have a great time and hope you enjoyed this episode. So from Denise and I, happy, happy Halloween. Halloween. You take care now. Bye-bye. I want
tell you about the man I see in my dreams He's in the hallway He's staring through me with no eyes in his head He's got nine fingers on one hand Tell you about the man I see in my dreams. Bloody chest. He's just a demon. Chin is long and calling out to me. Wanna tell you about the man I see in my dreams He's tapping on the window He's coming to get you He's coming to get you He's already got me Wanna tell you about the man I see in my dreams His legs go all the way to the floor He's coming to get you He's coming to get you He took me